Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another In the Legal Zone. We're going to call it whatever we want. The Legal Zone, the Clips for Sale Legal Zone. I'm Neil, founder, uh, whatever you want to call me, uh, any names, as long as they're good, uh, Clips for Sale. We have, of course, the amazing Dr. Chantel, the real doctor on the panel. We have uh, Corey Silverstein, the amazing doctor attorney <laughs> the other doctor the wannabe got it out of a cornflakes box um then we have uh lawrence walters the real attorney uh, it should be the real lawrence walters we're going to change that just so we know i like it <laughs> and of course today we're going over some legal topics one of them would be the ab 2389 that's going in for the uh, state of california and uh, an update on the sesta fosta law as far as i know lawrence has some breaking news it's going to be breaking in any minute and uh, I guess we'll hand it over to Dr. Chantel. Oh, and today's Monday, the 9th of uh, March. Just I was about to say, Neil, before I take it over, I don't even know what day it is. What well, day for those, is it right yeah, now? <laughs> for, for those of you watching this on YouTube or in the Clips for Sale uh, member log on a little bit later on, yes, if you look at this episode from last week's episode, Neil has lost another inch and a half worth of hair. Don't worry about I'm it. Scalped. It's <laughs> not, it is not your monitor. Don't adjust it. It's all real. <laughs> I think I'm losing it because of you. I think that Corey, like I said before, had one too many juice boxes today. So he's a little sassier than usual. But then I was told he's drinking water, so I'm not really sure what's going on. Yeah. Before we get into AB2389, and we hear from Corey, we're actually going to back up a little bit, and we're going to hear from Larry, who has some updates about a recent ruling having to do with FOSTA. Yeah, so, you know, the last legal zone we did, uh, I guess, was at the beginning of January, and so some time has gone by, and since then, we've had a very important ruling from the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeal in the challenge to FOSTA-SESTA, and the, the upshot of it is that the court ruled in our favor and found that all these plaintiffs that are challenging the law have legal standing to pursue the constitutional challenge, and that was a significant hindering factor. It stopped us from going forward at first because the trial court judge looked at the plaintiffs and said, well, you don't really have a stake in this controversy. The government probably won't prosecute you, so you don't have anything to worry about. Uh, you can't challenge this law because you don't have standing. And we believe that was incorrect from the beginning. We took it up on appeal immediately. Took some time, unfortunately, to get a ruling from the appellate court. Uh, but now the court rendered an opinion, a very well-reasoned opinion, that looked at you know the potential exposure that each of these parties has to prosecution under SESTA-FOSTA, uh, the fact that one of the plaintiffs, a massage therapist, lost his advertising forum, uh, Craigslist, as a result directly of FOSTA. Uh, and Craigslist also said, you know, and we're willing to bring it back. And that was one of the issues that the lower court struggled with and said, well, even if we rule in your favor, there's no guarantee that, you know, stopping FOSTA will do anything to fix the problem. So there was no real remedy that the court could offer. Um, but it was clear from Craigslist from the beginning that they wanted to bring the platform back if Foster Sesta wasn't here, if that law was enjoined, uh, that they would likely bring their platform back for the uh, massage therapists and others that had lost the personals ads. So that was an important development. It cleared the hurdle so that we can now have a full-on constitutional challenge to FOSTA. Uh, the case goes back to the district court in front of Judge Leon in the D.C. Uh, district court. And we don't know exactly when we're going to have a trial or a hearing on that. It could take a number of different forms depending on what the judge wants to do. But basically, the appellate court cleared the way and said, Judge Leon, you're wrong on this. These plaintiffs absolutely do have standing. They have the ability to challenge the law. 
And so now we're going to get a constitutional ruling on whether FOSTA-SESTA is uh, illegal in violation of the Constitution. That's amazing. So, Larry, just so everybody's clear, can you remind us who were, I, there was four plaintiffs, I remember, or maybe I'm wrong on that number, but there was the massage therapist, so people were saying, why would this guy, he can't even do this, why would he get, why, why does he care about SESTA-FOSTA? Who are the others, so people can be reminded? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, we have a number of plaintiffs. One is the Woodhull Freedom Foundation, which is the, the main lead plaintiff. And that was, uh, that's the group that uh, works to affirm sexual freedom as a fundamental human rights, an international uh, human rights organization that I work very closely with. And uh, they had standing as a result of their inability to host their annual summit and promote their sex worker advocacy programs and harm reduction programs and publish the names of sex workers online as a result of, uh, you know, the, they're trying to advertise the summit um, because Foster Sesta says you, you can't promote or facilitate prostitution. And so, you know, they were concerned that even publishing the contact information for the sex workers who were speaking at their summit would violate the law. You know, so that's the lead plaintiff. We had the Human Rights Foundation, Human Rights Watch uh, as another plaintiff. We have uh, archive.org, which archives the internet and uh, archives all the content on websites throughout the World Wide Web. And we have Eric Kosnick, the massage therapist that I mentioned. And uh, we have Rate That Rescue, uh, which is uh, an individual uh, who runs Rate That Rescue. And she operated a site that kind of identifies the, the different rescue organizations, sex trafficking rescue organizations, and rates them as to whether or not they're legitimate or you know, what, whether they really help people and so forth. But those rating sites provided contact information for sex workers and you know, told people where they could be found. And so the judge in the case at, at the appellate court said, even Rate That Rescue, could potentially be prosecuted under FOSTA-SESTA. So that's our collection of plaintiffs, in addition to the massage therapist who lost his, advertise, his advertising forum on Craigslist. His name is Eric Kosnick. And uh, with all of them, we, we brought the legal challenge and the court has now said, you have standing, you may proceed. That's fantastic. So what's the time frame? I mean, I know you said it's kind of murky, but is there any kind of like next step or next development that we can be looking forward to hopefully hearing about? Yeah, so uh, coming up soon will be the end of what's called the rehearing time. And uh, that's a, a period of time, it's 45 days after the uh, opinion is issued within which the government can ask for rehearing. So in other words, they, if they didn't like the decision, they thought there was something wrong with it, they thought there was a mistake made, the government can file a motion for rehearing and get the appellate court to you know, reconsider their decision. Uh, we don't think that, that, you know, frankly, would be successful, and I don't even think that they'll file such a motion, but they have the right to under the rules, and nothing can happen until that period of time expires. Um, and so coming up here in the next, you know, week or two, that period will be over with, and then the case will be formally sent back down to the district court, to Judge Leon, who will then decide how is he going to handle it? Is, is he going to, you know, just simply set a hearing on the constitutionality of the law, and that would then allow us to get right back up to the appellate court, which is really what I think everybody wants at this point. It almost doesn't matter what happens at the trial court level because either side's going to appeal back to the appellate court. Mm -hmm. If we win, the government's gonna appeal. If we lose, we're going to appeal. Um, so it's kind of you know stop at the, at the trial court level and then back up. Uh, obviously, if the trial court enjoins FOSTA SESTA, you know, on the way back up to the appellate court, that would be great. You know, we'd like to put a stop to this and, and all the collateral damage that the law has caused. Uh, but we don't know exactly when that will occur yet. We'll probably know within the next few weeks. 
Dang. So it's, it's definitely, you're still in the midst of the long haul and there's stuff coming, but things are moving so far in the right direction. That's awesome. Yeah. So that's great. You know, Thank these you. constitutional battles, they, they take a while. You know, if you look yeah. back at like the, the uh, Child Online Protection Act cases, those went up and down to the, the appellate court and the Supreme Court two or three times. It took four, I think four and a half years to finally resolve the constitutionality of, of COPA. Uh, the, the CDA took a while, you know, it's, it, the wheels of justice do grind slowly, but you know, with a law like FOSTA, that's really all you have. Uh, right. I don't see Congress immediately repealing this right after they pass it. So you know, <laughs> the, the best chance of relief is, is in the courts. And, and so we ha- kind of have to take their timing uh, as they dole it out. Right. And I mean, everything is notoriously uh, slow or maybe it takes the time that it needs to take. I don't know, but it's, it's definitely a, a long, a long term process, but I guess yeah. it has a really big impact, so that's good too. Yeah, it's important so, decisions. They about, want to get uh, it wrong. Yeah. Right. <laughs> What's wrong in the first place? I don't know. So, speaking about long processes or uh, interesting things or getting things wrong, Corey. Hi. Let's talk about, hi, what, what's going on over there? I see you have a new stack of books on your desk. You were studying up on a AB2389. <laughs> well, it's not in the, it's not actually in the books yet. So I'm we just kidding. I was just commenting on your lawyer no, books. There, it, I, I, actually, I know that they're there for decoration, but that's neither here nor I, there. I actually put, I, I can actually tell you what every page of that, each one of those books say. I bet. I mean, I'd have to read it to you, but <laughs> we don't have time for that. But no, I mean, we don't. Thank you, Neil. We do not. I wouldn't. But no, I, actually, underneath, there's a dollar bill that it's flattening out right now so I can put it in the vending machine. It's doing a really good job. <laughs> so The wheels of justice turn slowly over in your office, too, apparently. Oh, yes. So, Corey, everybody in our community seems to be talking a bit about AB 2389. And there is a lot to it. And even when we first talked about uh, discussing this topic, and even when this first kind of was brought out into the public about a week before the month of February ended, so much stuff has happened with it, even since its announcement. So can you tell us just basically in the first place, what's AB 2389, a little bit of the history of it, what happened, who the hell brought this up, what is going on? Yeah. Yep. It was actually, this was all... Uh, Larry Walter's idea. He actually wrote the law. Um, he's been working you on it. You better stop, time. Corey. All right. So, so AB, so Avery two three eight nine. Um, I actually have been nicknaming it the the Scarlet Letter statute. Um, for those of you who may or may not have read the Scarlet Letter, it was a book that was published back in eighteen fifty, which is going about one hundred and twenty years now. Uh, for those of you who don't remember the Scarlet Letter, the entire purpose of the Scarlet Letter was we had this poor little girl that was alleged to have been an adulterer and uh, the local community wanted to humiliate and chastise her. So they made her wander around town publicly for the rest of her life with a scarlet letter A on her chest. Uh, About 120 years later in February of 2020, we've got uh, originally two assembly members from uh, the California legislature, those being one Christina Garcia and two being Lorena Gonzalez, who came up uh, with this absolutely uh, fabulous bill. Uh, my friend uh, and colleague Michelle from the Free Speech Coalition is here with us. She absolutely loves this bill um, that they ended up calling 2389. But wait, um, wait, wait, wait. Those two people that you mentioned before, did they come up with the bill or was the bill presented in some sort well, of... Well, that's... 
that's kind of a that's a complicated that's a complicated question there's a little bit of of writing and gossip and chatter about who it is that actually put this bill into their i into their minds to begin with but they're not here and it would be wrong for us to try to read into their minds or, or say what it is that that gave them this this uh wonderful idea but the one thing that has changed since its original passing is that the co-sponsor of the bill uh lorena gonzalez she has basically run for the hills uh, she has, after the tremendous amount of backlash that uh, the industry has been giving the state of California, Lorena Gonzalez basically literally uh, came out, issued a statement saying that she was revoking her sponsorship of the bill, um, and she is gone. So now that uh, she's gone, uh, now that we actually, uh, what we have left is the bill, and the sole uh, remaining uh, author of this bill would be Christina Garcia. Now, originally, when the bill came out, this bill, and I've, I've put it in the Skype, or excuse me, not the Skype, in our, uh, in our little window here for everyone who's part of the group uh, conversation today. And if you're not, and you're watching this on YouTube, or if you're watching this uh, in the Clips for Sale uh, members tools later on, uh, you can simply, go you should be able to Google AB 2389, and right away the California legislature's website should come up, and uh, you should be able to read the exact text. The, Iraq, the exact text of this original bill um, was quite interesting. And uh, I'm going to kind of paraphrase a little bit because I don't want to sit here and, and uh, uh, talk too much by reading through it line by line. But in essence, what the bill did is that it prohibited adult entertainers or performers from working at an adult entertainment business or working in an adult entertainment video unless they, one, had a valid business license, uh, two, received a certificate of training completion regarding their employment rights as specified. Now, Originally, with that wait, business wait. like How is that different from brothel prostitutes? I mean, I know there are differences, but having a business license, how is that different from what Nevada does? Let's take it a step. Let's take it before we, before we go into the Nevada comparison. Let's talk for a second, Chantel, about how originally this statute uh, contained this provision that required a business license. So what happened was after many of the organizations, including the Free Speech Coalition, Michelle, and various other trade groups put a ton of pressure uh, on Assemblywoman Garcia, very quickly what we now have is we have a modified version of, of this uh, particular legislation. And in the modified legislation, what has been removed is this business license requirement. So that, Chantel, is now gone. Great. So with that portion of it also actually came what would have been the fingerprinting requirement. The finger uh, printing requirement is also now gone. That went along with the valve business license. Um, the other component, and I guess the only big surviving component of this particular proposed bill is a requirement that any adult entertainer, and, and there's also this whole issue of, well, what's an adult entertainer? Well, it's everything. And in fact, the, the, this particular legislation even encapsulated CAM models in particular because they seem to be uh, I guess we'll say part of, or the larger part of the targeted individuals uh, that, that this bill was going after. So with this requirement came a education requirement or a training program, so to speak. And what this training program uh, included, Neil, why are we looking at your chest? Sorry, uh, don't look stare at me, just get going. Uh, so so <laughs> I don't know so why. You're so easily distracted. Yeah, I yeah. could be like, I see a guy's chest in my face and I immediately just lose you my You want to lick it? Oh, just kidding. <laughs> so they came up with this, this uh, absolutely 
a brilliant idea where if you wanted to get your business license and get your certificate of uh, education or whatever you want to call it, you would have to uh, do two hours and 45 minutes of education would apparently after you got that two hours and 45 minute education, you would now be a bona fide licensed adult entertainer according to the uh, state of California. Now, my issue Chantel with this entire- My question is still the same. How is this different from Nevada? Like, I mean, I know that it's different in some ways, but, but you have to go through training to get licensure. Like tell us what is the main difference? How is this? And then we're going to get to the free speech issue. Well, first of all, the, the business license, the business license portion is gone. And as far as I knew, and I'm but not the education component, isn't right? No, no. The education component is not necessary in Nevada is not, I believe, I don't believe it is. I actually okay. do not believe it is actually uh, mandatory. I think they have it, but I do not believe it's mandatory. And we're getting some feedback from some of our participants in the group who are confirming that it is not mandatory. Now, don't quote me 100% on that because it is, I could be wrong, but the, the last time I checked, there was no mandatory education requirement. When, when you look at this, this bill, whatever you want to call it, Chantel, right from the start, the, the, the state of California, we were actually in preparation for the call, Larry and I were talking about this and they have this, this section two in this particular legislation. And this is where they are supposedly coming up with their grounds for this. And once again, as we uh, similarly saw in the Fosta's, what, what's so funny? I'm just, I know what you're talking, you're gonna say, cause oh, I, I know that part of the well, as we as we saw in Fosta-Sesta where the government wants to say that everything is to stop human trafficking and everything is to curb human trafficking and this is going to save the lives of children and et cetera. Once again, buried, it's not even buried, it's just underneath what the actual law requires in section two, it says, and this part I will read because I do find it to be just ridiculous, the legislature finds and declares that the prevention of human trafficking in the adult entertainment industry is a matter of statewide concern and is not a municipal affair, dot, 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 the paragraph continues. So again, it's the sustained conflation of sex work with sex trafficking. Here we go again. Embedded in this. And so regardless of how you feel about training, education, licensing, all that stuff, which I even read some stuff from Christina Garcia talking about hotel workers and this and that, then, I mean, call it bullshit or not, but other occupations and other industries do have training regardless the main issue is again the fact that the state and the government are attempting to conflate adults making decisions with criminal activity being committed Ch against others Ch chantelle i'm going to do you one better i had prepared a quote because i had a hunch that you and your brilliant mind would bring that up this is a quote directly <laughs> this is directly from ms garcia all right and i want you guys all listening here and I'm waiting for all the eye rolls to pop up. Quote from Assemblywoman Garcia, my goal is that the training required by AB 2389 will result in a certification process similar to that of other industries. For example, the food service industry requires a food handlers training course in which workers complete a training course and at the end of the quiz, upon passing the quiz, they are certified food handlers in this state. This is the mindset of the person who wrote this bill. Apparently, adult entertainers are now in the same category as people who prepare food, and they need to be appropriately educated on, I'm still not exactly sure what it is, because 
Assemblywoman Garcia never exactly made that clear as to what specific education topics are going to be required. However, well, I mean, there's also the, gonna industry, be the, compar the comparison may be inelegant, sure. But I mean, when I was still a professor, I had to go to, I can't even tell you how many classes of how to interact with other adults who are in your classroom or, or I mean, every occupation has some sort of workplace training. Is she just trying to dumb it down to that level or is she really like porn stars and food handlers are the same? Like which, which I one? think that I think that it shows you where the mindset is. And I think the fact that she would even think that a sex worker or a sex entertainer should be required to take a course and then even potentially take a quiz before being able to engage in whatever conduct he or she wants to do consensually and willfully with he or she's own body is ludicrous. It's absurd. The entire process, when you look at it, here's what it will do. Forget about the part. Let, forget, let's even pretend for a second that she didn't throw out the fingerprinting and the business requirement, the business licensing requirements, which everyone here thought was ridiculous. Let's take it a step back and pretend that, that, that she even considered that this was a good idea. So you're going to have a cam model have to go be fingerprinted, identify herself as a cam model, fill out paperwork, supply the state of California with her name, presumably her social security number address. And again, obviously fingerprinted so that the government in the state of California would know exactly who she is and where she was doing it. So, so think about this, Chantel. Now we've basically gotten to the point where the state of California thinks that having a registry of uh, sex workers is a good idea. Then on top of that, we have to remember that all of these records would be subject to FOIA, the Freedom of Information Act, meaning that any person could submit a FOIA request to the state of California and try to obtain these records. Again, I guess apparently it wasn't important to California about actually, you know, keeping these individuals safe and keeping their anonymity, given the fact that, you know, if for those of you who haven't been paying attention, sex workers and adult entertainers are frequently under attack online on social media and having their, uh, I don't know, personally, I'm not, a, uh, I'm not an entertainer, but I can tell you that the entertainers I have talked to have serious concerns about the state of California having their legal name, stage names, address, social security number, et cetera. Sorry. <laughs> Everyone's speechless. Everyone's like, well, so I'm, I'm, I'm not speechless though. Cause this is, oh. here's the thing. The doctors I know that I know that this is not before I say any of this, I know this is not the case. You guys who've watched multiple of these, you know, full well that I'm the, the first person and the last person to talk about sex worker discrimination. And it is everywhere. It is constant. It is ridiculous because we're talking in large case, legal occupations and people should, who should be protected. Is it possible, not actual, but is it possible in theory, Corey, that somewhere in the world of thinking, teachers have to have the exact same thing. You have to get fingerprinted. You have to put your name if you're like to teach. So if Chantal, that is happening. Let, let me help you out with that. I mean, because that is the essence of the First Amendment problem. But is it, 
Right. But is it, is there a way to, and again, I know that this is not the case. I know we're not talking about a state that gives a shit about anybody that brings money into the economy. I know that we're talking, not talking about an occupation that's considered neutrally like teachers or something like that. But is it possible that maybe there is a twist in this that could sort of legitimize something? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, and that's what I'm trying to wrap my mind around here. Cause we're talking, when you're describing this stuff, you're talking about things that other occupations also have to do. All right, so in your example, Chantel, the teachers get you know, fingerprinted and they have to get licenses and so forth, mm -hmm. but not only sex ed teachers. And that's the problem All here. The government, the government can't single out a certain type of entertainment for different treatment. So the government could say, all performers have to take a class on uh, trafficking or sexual education. So they or whatever. said all actors or all models. Right, right. Just... What they're doing here is they're singling out sexually explicit performances for a different kind of treatment for different requirements than all other occupations or all other types of entertainment. That's content-based discrimination. You can't do it. Okay. And, and that's, that's the difference with, you know, you get, yeah, everybody has to get a business license. And it's fine if it applies across the board. But you can't single out, you know, sex performers or, or cam models and say, well, you know, you are different. You have to pass this course. You have to get a license. You have to get fingerprinted because then you're discriminating based on the type of speech. And that, that's a critical issue here. This thing, okay. if it passes, is going to be very susceptible to a First Amendment challenge. Now, it, you know, it, people look at it and they say, well, you know, what about these um, adult businesses that have to get licensed? You know, you, a, a strip club has to get a license and that's based on the type of entertainment. But there's a key difference here. The government for a long time has made this argument that zoning restrictions for adult strip clubs and so forth are justified based on this idea of what's called secondary effects, that we can legislate here because we're really dealing not with the type of entertainment, but based on what these types of businesses cause, that the problems they cause in the community, like urban blight and graffiti and litter and traffic and so forth. We're not really worried about the type of entertainment. And the courts have bought that, but that has never been extended to the online realm, to people who are webcamming, who are doing something in, the, in their own home where there's no traffic problem created by a webcam model. There's no urban blight created by somebody who's performing a clip in their home. And that's where this, this law is gonna have a real problem. So what happens then when this gets kicked down and then they switch it and they say, okay, if you wanna work as an actor in Los Angeles County, any kind of actor in any kind of thing, then you do have to get registered. Then what happens? They might try that and, and then they wouldn't have that same First Amendment problem. They wouldn't be discriminating against adult entertainment based on the content of the speech. And they might try to, to pass a law that applies to all the entertainment. Then you'll see all the entertainment lobbyists and so forth jumping in and having something to say. But at least it wouldn't be this content-based discrimination, you know, treating right. adult performers like you know, they're, they're victims or children and then trying to educate them. Make sure you learn how not to be a sex trafficking victim. What does that have to do with well, being a cam model? Well, well, the interesting thing there, Larry, that you just said is we still actually, and, and nobody really knows what this education is going to comprise. They've come up with a mechanism to pay the individuals that are supposedly going to be uh, teaching these courses. However, in terms of what content is going to be required, we really have I mean, no they idea. haven't done curriculum development before they announced the law? Uh, well, you know, so Chantal, what I did a minute ago when Larry was, was, was speaking his dead-on point, I copied and pasted into the group so that everyone here today 
can see the actual verbiage of section 1710 of the statute. And I want you to read something. And this is what Larry, this is what Larry's point is. A person shall not work as an entertainer at an adult entertainment business or as a performer in any, uh, excuse me, any adult entertainment video, including but not limited to internet, internet webcamming sites. There is no argument, none whatsoever, that when they were drafting this statute, it is specifically the webcam and live streaming sector that they were going after. I do not read this any different way. And so when you take that, and then you take the specific categories, the entertainer, adult entertainer, Larry is spot on that this is, this is an absolute violation of an individual's First Amendment rights. Um, and I have my, you know, I have my concerns about whether this bill is going to pass anyway. So one thing to remember, everyone here and, and for you folks listening on YouTube uh, down the road, my personal opinion, this isn't going to pass. I don't think Bye. Why? 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 You know, honestly, I think this one is just so over the top and so over the hill and far away and ridiculous that I think people within the legislature, within the House, or excuse me, within the Assembly in California, especially when you already have the original co-sponsor of the bill running for the hills and trying to separate herself from this, and then you've got organizations like the Free Speech Coalition. Uh, forgive me, I'm forgetting the acronym of the other one, Larry. What was the? Um, um, God, Michelle, it, Ayla, Michelle just typed it in. You've got at least two substantial organizations that are fighting it. Uh, so they are already aware. And then on top of that, before we did our seminar today, uh, Chantel, myself, Larry and Michelle actually had a little bit of a chat about this in preparation. And one thing that's uh, important to mention here, critical to mention actually, is that we have time to fight this, okay? We can fight this right now. This isn't like, you know, before Fausta and Sesta came out, Larry and I were running around at trade shows begging people to fight it, and we didn't get as much of a response we would have liked. But this time around, we've got a tremendous more amount of support of people that are standing up saying, no, this is wrong. We don't like this. This is ridiculous. You have, again, the co-sponsor of the bill has already ran for the hills. I think that you'll get more resistance. I think that there's a much better chance uh, that it'll go away. And then the other thing that we talked about is, honestly, does the state of California really want another First Amendment lawsuit against it right now? Because I, quite candidly, if this passes, that's in its present form, that's where this is going to end up. It's going to end up back in a federal court. And I don't think that the state of California wants another one, but hey, I could be wrong. They but, seem to but if the state of California doesn't want that, why doesn't the state of California try to understand what it's doing before it lets its people put these bills forth. I don't well, they, well, well, but that's the beauty of, de of democracy. The beauty of democracy is that any person in an assembly or in the legislature who has the required legal support to put a bill through pursuant to a state constitution or the federal constitution has that right. And in this case, this particular bill None of us on this particular call may agree of, agree with it. And frankly, I think anyone who spends more than 10 minutes reading this thing will, will ultimately come to the same conclusion that this is a, it's, it's an unneeded bill. It is ridiculous. This is not going to help the very idea that two hours and 45 minutes of uh, training and certification is going to curb human trafficking is absurd. You want to talk about facts? Let's talk about facts. 
the United States government, the federal government, when they came out with FOSTA-SESTA, said that FOSTA-SESTA was going to be the savior. It was going to save the sex workers. Well, let me tell you something. Both Larry and I have sex worker clients, and we have businesses in that particular industry, and this has not helped them whatsoever. What this so has done- why do you think that something equally unhelpful is not going to be passed if they pass? Because it's trying to fix the sex trafficking problem. This just shows you how logic goes completely out the window whenever mm -hmm. sex trafficking is attached right. to that's, any bill because people don't think logically about it. They, they, they use it as a political cudgel. They try to get votes from it and it's, it's bipartisan so nobody can disagree with it. So they just don't think through the ramifications. Right. So then you have this that has sex trafficking assigned to it in some way, right? Why is that then not going to pass? If Sesta Fosta did, what is what is to say that this is I don't, not just as I don't think going to go through just as stupidly? That's a great question, Chantel. And I think there is, and I'm going to tell you what the answer to it was. And again, I have to go back to something that Lee and me and Larry were talking about. God, I think Larry, what, five years ago, four years ago, five years ago now. Don't you love how Corey always likes to talk about how I knew it? I knew this was going to happen. No, it's not. No, I, I'm going to tell you something. It's not I, actually, because I'm going to tell you something else. Originally, I didn't even know what it was. Larry picked up the phone one day and called me and said, hey, Corey, you need to look at this. And I looked at it, and Larry and I talked about it, and we knew then that it was insane. And so we made sure that at every seminar and speaking presentation we went to involving the industry, we were very clear that there was time to stand up and fight. We didn't do it. This time around though, Chantel, I think people are doing a much better job. Uh, Michelle, who's on, who's on today's webinar, the, the director of the Free Speech Coalition, they're actively following this. And by the way, not to, uh, Michelle can't do it herself because frankly she shouldn't and it would be unprofessional, but I can. For those of you who aren't already members of the Free Speech Coalition, I see that some people in our, in our group here are asking questions, what can you do to help? become a member of the Free Speech Coalition, give them the resources so that they can actually fight this. Uh, stay on top of this, keep reading it. Uh, my understanding is there have already been rallies in California. Uh, the Assemblywoman Garcia has been getting a litany of uh, phone calls and letters sent to her office. Uh, people should be continuing to do that. They should be continuing to talk to the press. Uh, the Los Angeles Times did a excellent, uh, excellent piece on this. Who did they quote, Corey? Mm -hmm. uh, Riley, Ria, Riley Riaz, and Riley Reyes, and also you. <laughs> Riley Reyes, uh, someone from the Free Speech Coalition, myself, but I was like at the bottom of it. The other I'm people just giving you shit. No, kidding. the other people were more important. The other people are more important. What? But what's important, Chantel, and and this is where, like, you know, why is this going to be different? Because it has to be different. People have got to stand up in this industry and say to these assembly people. This is ridiculous, and it is. I'm sorry, you know, for, for you know, with some hope maybe out there, uh, someone who, who's got some stroke in the California Assembly is watching this YouTube video right now. I am more than happy to jump on a plane and come discuss this with you anytime. This is one of the most ridiculous bills I've seen to date. This will not, this, the, to hide this or bury this or try to pretend that this is somehow gonna stop human trafficking is absurd. No, you guys all, every adult entertainer, not just cam models, even though they so carefully pick it out, every adult entertainer needs to stand up and fight this. This People involved in stripping have to do this. Uh, I, I hate to call it conventional shooting, but now because of streaming the clip sites and, and everything else, you gotta call it, I mean, Larry, what would you call it? The, the, the conventional 
production industry. I, I don't even know what to call it anymore. Professional production talking about? Yeah, just the, just the yeah. old, remember when there was just a camera guy and two people in a room having sex? Those guys, they all need to be standing up and they need to be. Uh, yeah, it's, it's the democratic process in action. I mean, you know, this is what you do. You, you speak out, you talk to your legislators, you call them, you write them, you post, you blog, you say as much as you can, get your voice out there, be heard, tweet, retweet, you know, get the message out that this is not acceptable. This is unconstitutional. It's a singling out of an industry for unfair treatment based on the content of the speech. And the proposed remedy of education is not going to eliminate sex trafficking. Hey, Ch Chantel, let me ask you a question. And, and, and I'm not picking on you, but since you're the moderator, let me ask you a question. Well, I think I'm the moderator. Why are you asking me a question? <laughs> because I think actually it's an appropriate question. You'll understand why in a second. You, you obviously don't live in the state of California, but let's say for a second you did. If the state of California said to you that going forward, or they proposed a bill that going forward, that before you engage as a female with consensual sex with another female or man, that you need to take a sex education class and then a quiz because the state of California believes that by educating you, uh, somehow that will, uh, I don't know, reduce uh, the events, the, the uh, amount or number of, of sexual assaults in the state of California, what would you say to the state of California? I don't understand how that's a question for me, first of all. <laughs> would you rather ask Neil? You can ask Neil. Oh. Neil, what, Neil what, what would you say to the state of California before they said to you, hey, you want to have consensual sex with another human being. You want to have consensual willful sex. But before you do, you're going to need to go and you're going to need to take some education and then you're going to need to take a quiz. And if you can't pass that quiz, you don't get to do it. I mean, I'm just curious. I mean, you know, maybe I'm probably going over the top because it's a little bit different. But when I start thinking down the slope of the things that people come up with, is it really, Larry, is it really that far of a stretch of an imagination that, that some crazy assembly person out there somewhere says, well, you know, STDs are up. Well, you know how we're going to curb STDs? We're not going to let consensual people have sex anymore without taking a quiz. Yeah, I mean, if they can somehow tie the idea of sex trafficking to, to the bill, uh, it wouldn't surprise me. And, and we've seen you know, a lot worse in our country's history. You know, specific sexual acts used to be prohibited, even in the privacy of your own bedroom. So, you know, we've come a long way from there, but there's, there's a long sorted history of censorship against adult entertainment, human sexual activity. And again, it's one of those issues where legislators don't think logically. They just, they, they take off their, their brain for a second and they start looking at votes and, and passion and knee-jerk responses. And that's how we end up with the kind of laws that we have to end up fighting in the courts. So is that then the quote unquote benefit or the rationale that somebody, you know, an assembly person, for instance, would support something like this not because they even actually gave a shit about it or thought about it, but because they're in turn trying to continue their own career, keep themselves in office, keep their dollars flowing. Is that the supposed rationale? Because Political power is always a, a big motivating factor and the anti-trafficking industry is large and well-funded right now. And it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, political motivations are, are in the back of these people's minds as they're looking at, you know, who's going to like me if I do this? Election season. Constituency now. It's election season, Larry. You've got, you got people trying to win votes, keep seats, trying to make their 
political parties happy and trying to meet whatever constituent requests that they're getting, Chantel. And uh, how about this? How about uh, this question? How many sex traffickers have they stopped so far since all these <laughs> Has one been, and, and how many sex traffickers are going to be like, okay, you girls, you guys go take that quiz so we don't get caught. Right. You don't think legit, uh, non-legit people are going to, it's Please. almost like, it's like the criminals with guns. Like, are they going to go get a test and a background check? Of course not. They're going to do the, do it all illegally. Just like any, it's, it's, it is a bit insane. And do I want someone in my, in my house, in my bedroom telling me what I can and can't do and the same thing like um we had here in florida there was a lot of uh uh with swingers clubs there was a lot of swingers clubs here and and they were fighting the 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 different county well lawrence you know larry you know about this they were fighting i think in polk county and all these other crazy counties uh in florida that hey you guys can't even swing with each other in this club because it's and and if it's attached to a hotel through another door, it's okay. But God forbid you open that door, it's not okay. It's like the dumbest things you could imagine that these guys come up with to yes. to try to. We were find involved. Them. Yeah, we were involved in a lot of those cases. Uh, one of the cases, they actually took a bulldozer to the building and knocked it down after we kept winning against the law. Is got rid of it another way, and you know ended up suing them and getting money. But they, just, they wanted to get rid of the club so bad, they knocked it down. Uh, you know, you, you know, that's the point that, you know, you raised a, a very important point that you know, the people who are being forced to get this education, really, that's the wrong target. If you want to educate people and, and call attention, shouldn't it be the employer and those who are hiring these people who should be sensitized to this? Otherwise, you're blaming the potential victims and forcing them to get educated on how, now, how, how not to be trafficked in the industry. Yeah, well, see, that, like that the wrong actually... party. That actually, what you're saying right there really kind of points out how nonsensical it is because they, they just passed AB5, so now all of a sudden we have got all these new employers that used to have contracts, contract laborers. But so would now not the employer need to be the quote-unquote responsible one in this to make sure their employees are not being so like abused, quote-unquote, because... Well, the it just should sense. be, but they're not. That's not the target of the bill. It's, it's putting the onus and the responsibility on the employees to learn how not to be trafficked. Uh, there's actually, Larry, interestingly enough, this bill, there was a ridiculous portion of this bill, and I think it's now been redacted. No, it's still there. Section 1171, uh, per, pursuant to this fabulous bill, an employer shall keep a copy of the certificate of training completion for each adult entertainer or performer employed for three years following the termination of employment. These copies shall be available to the employee or to the Division of Labor Standards Enforcement upon request. So uh, it, it, they actually, Larry, are, are decided, what the hell, why don't we do something like, like 2257 did and uh, let's go ahead and, and throw a records, requir records keeping requirement on the employer also just to you know give it the extra the extra shot there yeah and as long as this you know potential trafficker has this record of the uh, people getting education then everything's good you, know, you right. just keep that certificate and and you're good to go no obligation on the employer at all so Chantel you're Chantel you're good to go you can continue operating your sex trafficking business so long as you have your paperwork in order well i mean you know, as an employer, I'm sanctioned by the state of California. However, as a sex trafficker, I'm not an employer. Oh, 
So Sorry, I, I, I forgot that old part. You know, this goes, Chantel, this goes into to one of the discussion points that we've been having on this show, and, and Neil and I did it, and, and Larry and I have been discussing it. And, you know, I, I can't think of a state that is more unfriendly towards adult entertainers and sex workers in the state of California right now. I really can't. I, I, I actually, I feel bad for, for sex workers and adult entertainers in the state of California because it, it's, it, it's like constant. You know, we're, I, I said we there, but the industry is just starting to come to grips with what AB5 is and what AB5 is going to entail. You know, we're just, just now finally getting to the point of like, all right, so what is this going to be? when they slap this on us. What's gonna be next? Is, is, my, uh, is my suggestion, Chantel, that the state of California is gonna to wanna to control STDs so they're gonna start requiring just regular average day citizens to take sex quizzes so gone outside the realm of possibility? It's really not. When you look at a state that is doing everything they can to make life as miserable as possible for, for adult performers and entertainers. So, you know, I, I can't. I, I can't tell you that when adult performers and entertainers are coming to me and saying, you know, should I should I stay in California? Should I look for greener pastures somewhere else? Got to be honest with you. There's a plenty of other states in this country that are more than happy to take on the adult entertainment business, and uh, right now California is not one of them. You know, I don't disagree with you that uh, California is doing everything it can to uh, not appreciate. Uh, industry or one of the last industries that it still has like a, a big portion in but California just wants to make life miserable for everybody that that lives in its boundaries so it doesn't shock me there but aside from supporting the free speech coalition what else are active steps that people can do to help stay engaged stay aware and fight this because again as soon as we start disengaging like y'all already mentioned then we get things like SESTA-FOSTA, then we get things like AB5, that it's like, oh God, even though Corey knew about it five years ago. No, 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 Larry knew, it about, Larry knew it about five years ago. Larry, Larry knew he, about that, it six that, years that, ago, and then he told you. <laughs> Larry was first, it was at seven? It might've been seven, so he's going seven. Either way, so what is it, what are like direct right. steps, let's talk, let's not talk about, read yep. up, not follow up, not stay aware, even though those, right. those things are important let's too. Talk, let's talk about Concrete direct. steps. Concrete steps. Start sending eight thousand line essays to Chantel's personal residence, and we'll put that. Uh, we'll put that letter. Up. No, I'm kidding. What we're going to do is for each person that's actually in the state of California, or even working in the state of California, take a look at who your local assembly person is. Assembly people uh, vary by uh, by districts, so depending on where you live, what your jurisdiction you're in in California, will depend on who your specific assembly person is. Do not just send all of your hate mail. Um, regarding this particular uh, bill to uh, Assemblyperson Garcia, because ultimately this particular statute, or excuse me, this particular bill will be voted on. Make sure you're sending it to your assembly person and getting as much information to your assembly person so that hopefully your assembly person will eventually vote against this. Uh, Justin, who just messaged the group, Chantal, is saying that the bill looks like it's going to be seen at the LE committee on March 19th. So, Let's see what else we say. So there's still a lot of time. And on top of that, Michelle from the FSC just said that Ash Calra, is that, I think I pronounced it right, forgive me if I didn't, is the chairperson of the labor committee. Get your letters into that person. Also, if you have some sort of concern 
that you don't want to send your letter directly uh, to your uh, to your um, assembly person for whatever reason, talk to Michelle, the FSC, and I'm willing to bet you that there'll be someone there that can help submit it for you. I'm sure they would help you out with that. Michelle's suggesting that you use your performer name. I highly recommend that as well. Uh, there's no reason why, why you should be um, uh, violating your anonymity. That's number one. Number two, uh, make sure that you're paying attention. Uh, stuff with this is happening quick. Um, it, it's Carrie, been... your name is the best. Sorry, keep going, Corey. What did you say? <laughs> Carrie was saying that her name's Platinum Pussy, and she's not going to use her performer name, but she should use it all day long. <laughs> just, just, just say your name is Neil. Just call it a day. Just be like, hey, when, you know, you, you know when, Neil, when Neil calls up an assembly person, he just says, hey, or even the president, he goes, Mr. President, this is Neil. Oh, stop what I'm doing right here. It's Neil. You have to realize, guys, that, again, we, where, where the industry has historically made mistakes is that we've stayed too quiet. And this time, thankfully, the industry is making a lot of noise in social media to the point where the co-sponsor of the bill ran for the hills and wanted nothing to do with this anymore. So that's good. So that tells me that actually this time around, we are getting some support. So some of the steps that are going on, Chantel, are working. But that doesn't mean that it's enough. That doesn't mean that if the, F, if the FSC, for example, who sends out their newsletter once a week or once a day. I, on Tuesdays. I can't remember. Okay, it's on Tuesdays. Um, when they send out their newsletter, if the FSC's newsletter says, hey, everyone, we're having a town hall meeting about this or a gathering at such and such place and such and such time and we need support, don't just take the position that, well, I don't need to go because someone else is. It's not going to work. You got to get out there. You've got to actually be out there indicating what this what you know what's going on with this bill and how you're opposed to it because if you don't and you don't make a big enough stink about it what will happen is unfortunately there's a chance that it will get pushed through and then look where we're at then we're back in the federal courts and uh larry how many how many years is the 2257 challenge going now is the, the are we at the 10-year anniversary yet i think we are uh, if not we're pretty close yeah okay. it takes a while a nice decade i'm sure you know the fsc has has thoroughly uh enjoyed their their almost decade of, of uh, uh, federal litigation. But the fact is, guys, is that um, there's plenty that can be done now. So you can also call. I, I know a lot of assembly people, you can call their offices if you don't feel comfortable writing a letter or maybe you have bad penmanship like Chantel and you just want to call. That's why you type. You can just, you can just call. Mm -hmm. um, there's been a ton of stuff, tons of stuff on social media, which is, which is great this time around keep posting it, make sure that you're posting. And the beauty of, of social media, and, and this is one of the, the things that I actually love about it, is now more than ever before, you actually have an avenue to contact these politicians. You do actually have a way to contact them directly. Most of them have social media channels and such. Post to them, send them messages, tell them how you feel, tell them how this is gonna impact you, and tell them how ridiculous it is if that's what you think. Your silence is gonna accomplish nothing. So everybody has some homework right now. This is your homework. Your homework is to find your rep. Um, I put the link in the chat and Justin did as well. So it's there. So it's findyourrep.legislature.ca.gov. Everybody has to find their rep. Everybody has to contact their rep in some way, be it write something, call something, tweet something, doesn't matter. And then here's the hardest part of the homework. You have to reach out to two other people and get them to do it too, okay? Because just one is not enough. You have to talk to two other people. There. 
Ah, those are your concrete steps. Like, uh, <laughs> so, one of those things Facebook does where you send it and you're like, you have to send this in order to. Yes, yes. Or you're going to get seven years so, of bad luck. Yeah, or bad luck. So, oh, we do, so, we are a little short on time. And there is, Chantel, something that needs to be discussed because it is actually some breaking news. And we probably will on our next uh, uh, webinar session talk about this in more detail. But Larry, once again, who's the king of finding stuff before anyone else knows about it, found this amazing new law coming out, or at least uh -oh. proposed, called Earn It. Has anyone here heard of Earn It yet? No. Not yet. Fantastic. Larry, why don't you tell everyone what the, what, what's just going to make their day? Oh, yes. Uh, this is the, the latest dumpster fire from uh, our friends in Congress. Uh, the, the feds are now proposing a law that would take away all Section 230 immunity and require the platforms to earn it back. And the way that you earn it back is to follow these yet undetermined policy guidelines that apparently the FTC is going to come up with. And those guidelines have to block or identify underage porn. And so Larry, we know what's for Section 230 immunity? Yeah, Section 230 immunity is, is the, the whole issue that the FOSTA-SESTA case revolves around. And so Section 230 immunity is what allows the internet to function. We call it the First Amendment of the internet. And it prevents an online platform from being liable or responsible for user posts for third party content. And it's what allowed you know, Facebook and Twitter and Uber and everything else to function because they're not automatically responsible for the content that third parties post. And FOSTA-SESTA was the first way to chip away at that. And that law says, well, if you promote prostitution or if you're reckless to sex trafficking then you lose your section 230 immunity and we can sue the platform or prosecute the platform based on third-party content this new one is going to further chip away at section 230 immunity and say that all sites have to have a way to identify and block underage porn which we know that that ultimately will block a lot of if not most of actual constitutionally protected adult porn because filters are not terribly smart. And if these online platforms are the least bit concerned about being sued or prosecuted for underage content, they're going to impose filters that are going to be very strict and potentially block all adult content online. Uh, beyond that, there's a huge privacy issue real quickly on this law because it's going to encourage the platforms to eliminate encryption. So basically to keep your section 230 immunity, you can't allow encrypted communications. And that's going to obviously prevent anybody from communicating privately because the platforms will have access to that communication and the government ultimately will have access to that communication if they hit them with subpoenas or national security letters, what have you. It, it allows the government to snoop on all communications going through the internet if this encryption law is, is passed and if the platforms start eliminating encryption. So watch out for the Earn It Act. It's, it's the next uh, piece of censorship legislation coming your way and keep on it, and this is a time we can actually speak out against it. We're at the pre-FOSTA time, so this is the time to say, no, I want my privacy, and I don't want any more chipping away at Section 230 immunity. So this time, Chantel, when Larry says, or I say in six years from now that I told you so six years, six years prior in a webinar, and you heard Larry say it first, you can't give me any shit. But if you guys are, so Larry, just to be, you shit. <laughs> Larry, just to be, Larry, just to be clear, Okay, and just to even break it down further. So 
I read this thing and the way I'm looking at it, I'm looking at this as, as almost like a, the government will still give you immunity if you play by their rules and what their rules are going to include is you basically being a snitch and allowing the government backdoor access to your platform. Yeah, that's exactly right. And these rules are not anything that we are voting on or that our legislators or representatives are voting on. They're being created by the executive branch and you know, without any input from the populace, from the people that are gonna be the most affected by them. And so yes, it's the government coming up with unpublished rules and dangling section 230 as a carrot saying, you know, if you do exactly what we say and make sure we can snoop on all your communications, then we'll give you your section 230 immunity back. Nice. Wow. Let me just say that earn it to me. When I was at the gym, they're like, you need to earn it. And that makes more sense to me. You got to earn that workout, earn that meal you're going to get afterwards. When you said, earn yeah. it, this has yeah. got to be something really cool. Like I can work out. Yeah. You know what, you, you know what Neil's workout entails, right? Going to the tanning, going to, going to the tanning salon and then walking I do around. Not even smoothie. Man. Yes. You know what? I haven't been to a tanning salon in my life. Thank sure. You. No, I'm no, we totally, we totally believe, we totally believe you. You just keep wearing that Lululemon underwear, man. Go ahead. <laughs> anyway, hey, no, don't give any props, uh, no sponsorships on this, uh, on this. And by the way, do you have a stock in YouTube? Because you keep mentioning YouTube. Why are we mentioning YouTube? I mentioned YouTube because at the end of all of our, uh, our recordings, it goes up on YouTube. It's going to be on the Clips for Sale blog. That's where you want to find it. Not Excuse on YouTube. Me. Excuse me. So for those of you watching this on the Clips for Sale blog, if you <laughs> Chris, Corey's more of a TikTok guy. Yeah. Oh, by the way, we've seen all Corey's TikTok. I don't even know. All right. What is everyone going crazy about this TikTok shit? I don't even know what it is. Uh, this might be part yeah, of the after party. Don't lie, yeah, Corey. You're right. This is, you're right. This is part of the after party. I apologize. So if there's anything, um, obviously, like, uh, like Larry was talking about with this earn it thing, it sounds to me basically like they're wiping everything clean and saying, okay, no one's got immunity and let's start from zero. That's basically what they're saying. Start from scratch, earn the immunity back, and you have to do this, this, and this. And yeah, there's, I, I would assume the only way to say something like that does get passed is to have live people 24-7 continuously watching content, looking at everything that's uploaded, delaying uploads for hours, days before it gets posted. That means Facebook, YouTube, all these things will not be live posts anymore, pretty much, because it's going to affect not just adult, it would affect everybody, correct? Not just adult. Yeah, it would affect everybody, and you're right, it could cause substantial delays, or just even an elimination of the third-party user-generated content business model. I mean, there's going to come a point soon, if these laws keep passing, where we're just going to have curated, media-approved, corporate content that's not user uploaded uh, because it's going to be too big a risk to allow users to uh, participate in these platforms. It's going to be why, over. Why would any web host in their right mind, Larry, want to be in the web hosting business if they might ultimately be liable for every single piece of content that goes up on their servers? This is where you basically have the beginning of the end of free speech on the oh, internet. So is earn it, is it like, hosting companies are responsible for the websites they host or is it like like tube sites are responsible for the content that gets uploaded or both it's it's the whole ball of wax section 230 applies to everybody to wow. social media sites to youtube to hosts to service providers 
anybody that allows a user to somehow connect with or interact with the internet is a service provider. And they're gonna lose their immunity and have to you know, earn it back by playing by these unpublished rules uh, or be subject to criminal prosecution. So yeah, this could, this could be the end of the user-generated content business model. At the, at the very least, you know, we're gonna prevent any new online innovation. We're not gonna have the next TikTok or you know, uh, Uber or the next YouTube even because the big conglomerates, the media companies that can afford the artificial intelligence and the filters and everything else to keep the government happy will be able to do it and they'll have their deals with the government, but the next site, the next platform won't be able to launch. Yeah, basically giving you an unfair advantage as well over so monopoly. Almost like you're, you're uh, what's it called? Uh, you're gonna monopolize because you're only the one guy can do it all, so you're all out. Like Twitter's out, Instagram's out, this one, Facebook's the only one that can do it because they have the power to do it. But it, it might even have to do with with Facebook because of all the stuff going on with them and they're fighting with them about who knows what, but maybe that's where the government can, I can get on it now. That is an interesting point. I think, I believe this was the week where Facebook agreed to take or didn't agree to, but decided to take down all of uh, president Trump's reelection uh, ads. I believe it just happened the other day, but it's, who knows? It, it, I don't think it's, who knows if it's yeah. really the government doesn't like the fact that, you know, messenger might be encrypted and all of a sudden the government can't get access all this communication going on on the internet now they like to be able to you know issue subpoenas and find out what's being said in private chats and with encryption the platforms can rightly say we can't get access to it so you know we can't give you access to it government doesn't like that yes of course they don't like access and they'll probably come back and say well there was a crime committed and we really need this information and you're not helping us so it's your fault that this guy got away with murder or whatever it is because i've seen Plenty of those where I guess uh, not like Apple, they won't give, they won't release the phone of the guy and, and all this stuff. And I and I and I guess you could see the good and the bad to it because you're like, well, we want to find this missing person, but do we want to give up the rights to to let them see the content of the phone in order to save the person or whatever? You know what I mean? So I yeah, guess it's not only see the content of the phone, <laughs> it's create an entire backdoor for the government to get access to that phone and everybody else's phone. Once you create that backdoor, the hackers can get it and there's, there's an exploit that anybody can use. So that's the, the, the huge problem with any exception to the encryption requirement. You, you've got to allow it to continue, otherwise the hackers get it just like the government gets it. Right, okay, well, on a great note, ended on a great note there, Larry, thanks. I started uh, out Larry. good. He, yeah, he, you wanted he, the good news or the bad news? We started with the good news. He's always. I didn't realize you had that hammer dropping bad news at the end, though. Jeez. <laughs> There's a lot more to talk about there. It's just you know, it's just an introduction. We'll we'll follow it up a little bit as we come on maybe yeah. next uh, next year. Next, next, next month. At the next session, we're just actually going to call it the bad news legal zone. So yeah. everyone will know going in that it's just going to be bad news from the beginning to the end. Yeah. All right. Are we good for our final thoughts, Chantel? Oh, you want a final thought? Well, yes. Neil, are you going first? Or you want me to go first? No, you can go. I always have to end it out. So go ahead. You go ahead, Corey. He's got to do this. I got to do uh, this. Well, we, well, first of all, tune in for the after party. This week is sponsored by, do we have a corporate sponsor yet? I guess YouTube, according to you. Yes, so. Chris. Uh. The answer, Chris, is yes. He did that oh, Chris, on purpose. Well, Chris, Chris is here, so it's probably sponsored by Paxum. It's, it's, it's all right. <laughs> so we'll have the, but before that, guys, so, Something that I wanted to talk about today is, uh, you know, AB 2389, 
this isn't a topic that you know we we wanted to come in here and this wasn't something that we you know we wanted to do and basically tell you hey guess what the sky's falling again in california but it is very important in the democratic process that you guys remember that until something becomes law that you have the opportunity to speak up and be heard uh frequently and we've mentioned it throughout this show more than a couple times that it, there are things that you can do as an individual to stand up and fight back and say, no, this isn't going to work and here's why. Um, don't be that person that just sits there and says, ah, oh, don't worry, you know, the trade associations will handle it, the lawyers will handle it. Don't do that because by the time it gets to Larry and I, I'll be honest with you guys, by then it's already probably the law and by then now the fight's on and we're going to be tied up in federal court for the next hundred years. Stop doing it. Take your opportunity now to speak up um, also, uh, in terms of uh, future episodes, make sure to keep on. A lot of you have been great with messaging me on Twitter and such. Uh, feel free to keep doing so. If you guys have topic ideas or questions that you want Larry, Chantel, uh, Neil, and I to answer, well, more of the three of us, and Neil's just kind of there as eye candy, but make, <laughs> That's right. make, sure, make sure you keep the questions coming and, and uh, the topics coming, and we'll keep doing it. So thanks again for being here today, guys. All right. Go ahead, Larry. You can go next if you have a final thought. You know, I, I think this has just been a, a good eye-opening seminar for everybody who was following the adult industry. We've got you know, two new laws that are potentially causing significant disruption in the adult entertainment space. Uh, we've got some good developments from FOSTA, but this is important to, to keep an eye out on, on the legal issues because they, they seem to be coming fast and furious right now. And the, the government, you know, this is election year, so the government is focused on using the adult industry as a political football, as they often do during election season. So, you know, watch carefully and uh, tune in next month and, and we'll bring you the next update. Everybody make sure to do your homework again, find your assembly person, reach out to the assembly person, however it is that you choose to do so. There's many different avenues and also make sure that you encourage at least two others to do the same, right? Because we're trying to build a groundswell right here, not one-to-one, -one, but like one to three. So do that if for some reason you want help or assistance or support with your outreach, feel free to email me and I can help you write a letter, write a tweet, or just, I don't know, cheer you on, whatever you need. That's Chantel at consensualsex.com. That is not a real address. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Okay, anyway, yeah, Corey, you had your final thought. No more. Right, sorry, sorry. I'll get one final thought of her show here. So uh, again, just wanted to thank, of course, uh, the amazing Corey Silverstein. I did say that, yes. You can quote me on that and it's recorded now. Uh, and the, the even more amazing uh, Larry Walters, who's more amazing than Corey, sorry, but he is, because he did come up with this. He saw this way ahead of time and you didn't, uh, and you didn't pick up on the uh, Sesta Fosta, so you know what you're gonna do. And, uh, <laughs> and of course, to Dr. Chantel, the most amazing host and the only real doctor on the panel. Uh, and uh, just from, <laughs> from all of us here uh, at Clipster Sale, just want to say thanks for, for joining. And I'm sure there will be another uh, legal zone coming up within a month or two or somewhere in that time frame. And I encourage, by the way, and I talked to Corey about this, people need to share this, get it out there. So it's not just about, uh, it's not just about Clipster Sale studios. It's about, Everyone in the industry should get in on these uh, webinars to ask questions, to find out information. Um, it's, it's, it's really becoming the, the number one news source in the industry. That's what these things are becoming. Yeah, so. Number one. Yeah. Anyway, so if, if you're not a participant, 
you're, and don't come back later and say, oh, well, I'll ask my question later. Well, this is your chance to come in live and actually get things, uh, you know, find out information, ask your questions, get answers. So I encourage everyone, pay attention, share those links on Twitter, wherever it's posted, get out there and make sure that you're sharing with two people also, whatever about the, the AB law and, and all that stuff. But you should be sharing this with at least two people that you know of on your Twitter page, your thousands of followers. So anyway, from all of us here at Clipster Sale to all of you back at home, I just want to say peace. <laughs> peace out. <laughs> peace out. <laughs>